You see, we were under the impression that this was the house on campus. Anything at all, anything you need, and we're in. Anything? A stripper. And by tonight. This is great. I can't wait to see you get us out of this one. The After Dark Club. Hottest acts anywhere. Guys, it sounds classy. I think we should have called for reservations. Gentlemen, I give you... Anyway, I was wondering, maybe later tonight, if you're interested in doing a little encore performance for a much more appreciative audience. The club, everyone here, man, they're vampires. Can't let you leave. We got a problem here. I'm a fucking zombie now! Hey, call the police. These people, they're all vampires. They eat shit and bark at the moon. doesn't make them bad people. What are you trying to do? Get out of here? Why? There's more of us out there. Oh, yeah. So where are you going? Here. There. We're everywhere. film i don't feel gets enough credit uh as a vampire film as an 80s horror or you know as a horror comedy it kind of always seemed to lose out to those big hitters you your fright nights your lost boys um even near dark i guess you know in terms of vampire films it feels like it's a product of its time but i mean that in a good way you know in in terms of you know, being made in the mid 80s it needed all those elements really for it to make it work and kind of it really needed grace jones hello and welcome back to scream addicts i'm your host jinx and that was peter hearn talking about richard wink's 1986 horror comedy vamp mr hearn is a writer director known for the daisy ridley starring scrawl which was just recently released to disc here in the states in addition, he is currently working on the female punk rockers fighting gremlins aboard a plane feature, Dead Air, which will start hitting festivals later this year. That premise sounds like an absolute blast, by the way. Anyway, Mr. Hearn, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Now, as with every show, I have to ask, given the option to choose any horror movie at all, you went with Vamp. Why so? Uh, why Vamp? Um, Maybe it was the time when I saw it. You know, it was uh, um, maybe I, I don't know. I think it's it's one of those films. Whenever I watch it, I I'm transported back to a, a specific time and place, um, and I never grow tired of it. I think it's a great little flick. You know, uh, and I, I you know as I you know say, I, I think it's one that's kind of very much forgotten i mean there are there you know there are fans of it you know of course but i think in terms of uh in terms of like the horror comedies and you know horror films especially those of the 80s it's one that you know people mention the name and they go oh but then you know it, I, I i kind of always question those that go oh, in terms of have they actually seen the film have they actually seen it recently um I, I think it still holds up. I think it's a it's a great great uh, vampire film. It's a great comedy. It's um, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that it's become somewhat of a forgotten film because I, you know, I just have to thank you, or maybe I need to ask you and the listeners to go easy on me here. Um, 
as a kid, I would constantly run across the uh, box art for Vamp in my uh, my local mom and pop video store, and it just it freaked me out. You know, there was something that just got under my skin. That as a kid, it was like you know it was a uh, you know a bit of a warning bell sounded. You know, to just you know keep walking, just, you know, stare straight ahead and get by that box, you know, uh, go to something comforting like uh, a nightmare on Elm street, perhaps, or a Texas chainsaw instead, you know, but, um, but, you know, I, I, I just remember seeing, uh, that. And then I remember catching part of a uh, Grace Jones's, uh, strip number by accident one night, you know, late on uh, HBO back in the eighties. And, uh, you know, that made an impression certainly on young me. Uh, but for whatever reason, I never caught the film later on. I had, for whatever reason, no desire to see it, really. Uh, The best chance there might have been for me checking it out would have been that Arrow release that came out a while back. And I didn't even pick it up then, so I'm not sure I would have ever managed to finally watch this film were it not for you choosing it to chat about. So I can only say now, having watched it, Thank you for that because oh oh my god this movie is incredible it is it's super fun and funny and cool and gorgeous and it has a great cast and great practical effects and just you know I I as soon as the credits hit I just asked myself damn it where has this movie been all my life you know it's it's my fault entirely but yeah thank you so much for choosing it because what a movie I know it's um I don't know it's just you know I. Uh... I kind of, I saw it, I can tell you the exact date, and I'll tell you why as I go on. I can tell you the exact date that I saw it um, was the 26th of May in 1991. And, wow. and it's not because I, it's not because I take, um, you know, a little notebook out and write down whenever I see a film. I, yeah, I'm the worst for that. I've got loads of friends that do it all the time. Whenever they see a film, they'll write a little short kind of, review of it i'll just watch a film and then go yeah it's good oh well that that sounds like a really obsessive behavior that i have never not once ever (laughs) indulged in in my life yeah well i can't do that but the reason i the reason i know that that's when it was released was because it was on a uh a tv program over here in um in the uk called movie drone um movie drone ran on the bbc from I want to say the late 80s through to uh, maybe the early 2000s. It had two presenters. The first presenter was Alex Cox, who uh, you might know from like Repo Man and uh, films like that. Um, And then when he he kind of, you know, left it in the mid 80s, um, sorry, the mid 90s, he he was replaced by a guy called Mark Cousins, who... uh, um, writes loads of books about kind of he, you know does loads of kind of historian kind of stuff about film, uh, but it was during the Alex Cox kind of era that uh, that I saw it, um, and I wouldn't say that I watched every week, uh, but they were on. Um, I think probably if I went back and looked at what the twenty sixth of May nineteen ninety one was, it was probably a Sunday. I'm pretty sure they were on that kind of time. Um, and, uh, you know, Dark Man was one of them that I saw kind of around that time. Oh, that's a great uh, and, um, and Vamp was another. And he did these little introductions, um, which you can find on YouTube if you just type in that movie drone Vamp. He does a little introduction because I don't quite know whether he curated them um, or he was presented them by the BBC and went, what the hell am I meant to do with these? Um, <laughs> because some of some of his introductions are a little bit kind of scathing. 
Um, some of them, you know, he, he will talk about the film kind of and how much he loved it. Uh, and Vamp for him just seemed to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, you know, he, he would kind of, he said, you know, it was a, uh, you know, it was a movie drone movie, which movie drone was pretty much cult movies, you know, from throughout the this sounds uh, very uh, yeah, ages, very monster vision in a way, very Joe Bob possibly, Briggs, you know, I, yeah, I could see them being equivalents in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, he he kind of he did his introduction saying you know what it was and said that it wasn't it um it wasn't a particularly great film, but it had energy and stuff like that. Uh, so I, I kind of watched it with no expectations, and um, uh, you know I. I think it took until they were kind of on their way to uh, the strip club um, part of the film where it kind of just started to all fall into place for me. I think the opening, even though it's fine, um, you know, the the frat kind of party (laughs) kind of uh, uh, bit that um, kind of is set up, uh, you know, was very typical kind of 80s kind of, you know, comedies, uh, uh, you know, of that period. Um, and I think because of the way that, you know, the, the writer-director, Richard Wayne kind of plays the film, you are totally, you know, all the time you're kind of thrown, thrown off, you know, your, uh, you know, your guard is let down. You think certain characters are, you know, are, you know, are, are going to do you, you know, do you wrong and then they turn out to not and um and then other characters kind of do and it just it, you know it it hit me at the right time i think you know what 91 i was probably 16 17 well, i was 16 17 um and uh yeah it was it was it was a film that you know 20 however many years that is what 29 no 20 28 years later you know i'm still uh, still very much uh, in love with them. It's a great, great film. You know, it's funny you touched on something there. The uh, the opening of the movie, you know, the, the film is called Vamp. Obviously, we kind of know what we're getting into when it begins. And we are introduced to these two characters, our leads, you know, being marched to what seems like certain doom. And we have all these characters that are clearly vampires in robes or something quite awful. And then, you know, there's this reveal that they're not, in fact, a threat at all. They're just a bunch of frat guys being jackasses. And then, you know, as the uh, I don't want to jump too far ahead here. Or I get Well, we certainly can. That's what we do on this show. We jump all over the place. So let me go ahead and dive ahead, you know. Um, but later on, you know, probably by the end of the first act, we are introduced to another set of characters in a bar, and they're a gang led by Billy Drago. Uh, and, you know, we see them, and they're very sort of sinister looking, and then we have it in our heads. Okay, these are the vampires. And then they turn out to be not vampires at all. So by the time we get to the strip club, you know, that winds up being pretty much the main location in the film, there's this feeling that our are these the vampires? Are we to the vampires yet? I, I, these, these people may not actually be vampires, even though, I mean, at this point in the movie, they probably should be in a movie called Vamp. But, uh, but you know, going back to that opening, too, what's amazing to me is that, you know, you mentioned 80s comedies, and it kind of looks like that. It has a very flat kind of look to it. There's a lack of style. It's, uh, even though it's meant to evoke, I think, uh, you know, a big horror movie moment with them being marched to their death. Uh, you know, it never actually happens. But there is, you know, even when they get back to their own room, it's all very bland looking. And it's not that the movie is uh, the poorer for it. I think uh, 
you know, the, the comedy is great. The dialogue is great. You know, the performances are, you know, great. Uh, it's just, you know, visually it's kind of uninteresting. And yet, as soon as night falls, it becomes this gorgeous looking movie with this, uh, it becomes kind of like this heightened reality with the, uh, you know, the gels. I think, you know, they, they had pink gels and they had green gels and that's all they cared to use. Totally agree with that. Um, I, uh, it kind of feels a bit like a John Hughes film at the start, you know, in terms of the look as well. Uh, um, you know, obviously John Hughes was big and you've got old, uh, old, um, what's his name? Getty Watanabe in it as well. Um, it was so great. <laughs> yeah. Well, absolutely. I, I think, you know, he gets a, he gets a bad, whenever I read stuff about it, they say, Oh, yeah, apart from him, he's, he's really annoying. That's the character. The character is meant to be annoying. Yeah, you know, I think he he pitches it perfectly. But but I agree. You know, the red, yeah, the magenta and kind of green gels. You know, the the DP um, um, Elliot Davis, who kind of has gone on to you know, a huge career. You know, he, he shot Out of Sight. He shot Twilight. Um, he's kind of he's worked. You know, probably more than than anyone else. You know, um, I think without that kind of look, and yes, other films in the 80s had that kind of look. You've got From Beyond having that look. Um, you know, it's, uh, it is kind of like the neon kind of go-to probably in, in the 80s. I think the film, it helps the film feel fresh today, having, yes. having, those, you know, having that surreal kind of... Uh, look to it as well. Um, I miss movies yeah. that felt comfortable enough to take big swings like that visually, where it doesn't have to be fully grounded in reality to still draw you in and you know make you invest in the characters and invest in the situations. You can still go a little far, I think, with uh, the visual style and you know not lose people. I don't think or make them think that it's merely a, a living comic book of a film. Yeah, well, I think it's it, you know it's certainly got that kind of comic book you know that ec kind of comic book you know like creep show kind of feel to it we, uh, you know tales from the crypt um you know both kind of things that i love as well so that probably helps the fact that this is you know still a favorite to this day because <laughs> you know i love all that kind of stuff but um and you're right I, I think vamp does feel like an extended installment of what might have been uh a great third or fourth creep show <laughs> yeah 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 um and I, I think it helps that they they don't kind of wink to the camera. They don't go, "Oh, look at this, we're so funny." You know, they play it when they they play it seriously. They play it seriously when they play it. You know, for for laughs. You know, they're very. It's very. It feels very much right for the you know for the time and place within the film, um, and. You know, I don't think that Richard Wenk gets enough credit uh, when, you know, talking about the film for, for what what he kind of brought to it. And and it's weird that, um, you know, he did very few features, you know, uh, to me. You know, he did this. He did, um, what did he do? He did Just the Ticket with, um, uh, what's his name, Garcia. Um, Andy? Andy Garcia, that's one. Um, and didn't he do? Um, let me check here. I know he did another horror film. Um, 
I think he did half of a horror film where he came and took over a film, which was possibly the last one that he did. Yes, uh, Wishcraft with uh, one. Alexander Holden, which I remember yeah. being um, okay. You know, was... Yeah, I, I, I don't know whether I've ever seen it, to be honest. <laughs> um, but uh, but he's, you know, he doesn't get enough credit for what he brought to the film. Um, and um, I, but it, uh, yeah, the thing that I really, you know, that I'm like good on him for, I'm like good on him when I found out <laughs> uh, that he's um, he he does he writes, you know, he's you know he's um, quite a prolific uh, screenwriter, you know, working with uh, Antoine Fuqua quite a lot. Uh, you know, he did the Magnificent Seven remake. He did uh, the Equalizer films. Um, he he wrote like the sequel to Jack Reach of uh, um, Zwick, Edward Zwick as well. Um, and he did 16 blocks as well, I believe. But yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's still working. And, and that's a you know thing about this film that I love, you know, in terms of delving into kind of the, the whys and the hows, you know, you know, they're making it. Um, how many people behind the camera have gone on to, you know, other things, you know, that are still working. You often find like people in, you know, in, in you know the eighties that aren't working anymore. You know, in terms of like directors or writers or uh, cinematographers or whatever. But yeah, pretty much, you know, everyone involved behind the camera have gone on to, you know, I, I want to, I want, I want to say bigger and better careers, but I don't mean that. I, you know, in terms of they've gone on to things that have. <laughs> got bigger budgets maybe um and uh and how many people in front of the camera haven't uh but i don't think that's a bad thing you know it's it's not a um you know i i love the cast i think chris makepeace is is fab as like the the lead kind of kid in it and um uh i love dd pfeiffer uh in this you know in this film um you know as you say billy drago who sadly passed away you know uh, yeah i should note uh, as we are uh, as we're recording yes he just passed away a few days ago and uh what a loss to such a great actor. yeah no absolutely uh, i mean it's such a presence um and uh and it was uh, it's it's very weird when you're kind of lo- looking into a film in you know quite a lot of depth and then you're kind of oh what, what they're up to now and you find that they've just that minute passed away. So, uh, you know, it's funny. On. Looking up, like, the filmographies, too, you know, you mentioned Richard Wink and what he's been writing, you know, uh, he did do the Equalizer movies and the Jack Reacher sequel and the Magnificent Seven, and, you know, it looks like he also wrote 16 Blocks and The Mechanic and The Expendables, too. How how do you account for a man as a director? He had kind of a light touch with Vamp. It was a great horror comedy, but, you know, with an emphasis on the comedy how how do how do you imagine that transition happens where he goes from that sort of sensibility to writing these sort of hard nosed crime and action films? Um, well, he he wasn't a horror fan. Um, he was very much a, a fan of Hitchcock and uh, and kind of thrillers in that in that vein. And yeah, you know, he's got on record a number of times to just say, you know, I wasn't really a fan of horror. Um, and I kind of approached it as a as a nightmare, you know, as these characters just kind of wandering into a nightmare. He was very influenced by um, Scorsese's After Hours. That was his oh, wow. 
his go-to film um, for what he wanted the feel of Vamp to be. Uh, obviously, After Hours doesn't have vampires in it, but he kind of... Um, but it should. The, yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, the producer, um, uh, Don Borchers, I believe his name is, uh, who did like Children, uh, Children of the Corn... Um, and oh gosh, can't can't think what else he's done. Loads of stuff. Um, Let's see. But but he's you know that was his big thing. You know, Children of the Corn. Uh, oh, he did the Beastmaster as well. Um, or or was a producer on the Beastmaster? I don't know whether he was the main producer. Yeah, the Beastmaster, um, Children of the Corn, uh, Vamp, Two Moon Junction. He did Motor uh... Motorama, <laughs> Motorama, which I love as a another odd kind of um very very odd film by the same writer of um after hours highlander to um, quickening yeah um and he uh so the the producer went to you know he'd seen uh a a film that uh wenk had had done you know which i think was his film school film which was dracula it's the Big Apple, I believe it's called, uh, which was like a 20 minute kind of short comedy, musical comedy. Uh, I haven't seen it for years. I think I saw it on one of the first Vamp uh, DVDs and, and haven't kind of returned to it. Not that it wasn't, you know, it, it was fun. It was fun enough, but you know, I just wanted to dive into Vamp again, I think. But um, he, um, the producer, had the, the name of the film. He said, I want to make a film called Vamp. And here's the poster, and it was pretty much the same poster that that got um, kind of got released. Um, and which is really he... really wonderful, uh, listeners. Yeah, there, if you're not familiar with it, look it up while you're listening to this. It's really great. I love the lip print with the uh, you know the title sort of descending just enough to make it look like the pointy fangs just inside of the lips. It's very simple, isn't it? It's um, it's a very simple poster. Um, that uh, sells the film, you know, really well. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, and I think going back to the kind of the, the the producer, kind of just he just offered, you know, uh, that you know he just offered Wenk the the chance to direct this film and write it as well. And so I. Oh, I wish I'd lived in a time like that where someone just comes to you and goes, I saw a film of yours that you made like eight years ago. Um, uh, um, how about filming this film for me? Yeah, how about writing it? How about doing it? And uh, I think it's on like, uh, there, there have been numerous kind of releases of um, of Vamp over the years, you know, on home, home video. And they've all got different kind of features on them. It's like they just can't, <laughs> it's like, I think Arrow, for example, they've released two completely different versions of it. Um, uh, Anchor Bay released one you know, um, about 10 years before that, and they've all got different extras on, and I'm a big collector, so I, I kind of like hoover them all up. Um, <laughs> and on one of them, and I can't remember which one it was, but it may well have been the, the Anchor Bay one, there's a, a commentary. And it seems to suggest that that Wenk wrote the script in a weekend, which um, maybe he wrote like the first draft of it and then returned to it. But um, I can't believe that he, he wrote it and then handed it in. And that's what they shot. It's very um, Jimmy Sangster. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, very much so. Um, um, but uh, I mean, it's just, it's 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 very light, breezy, fluffy, and um, and but I think you know, going back to your original question, because we've gone way off. Um, That's what we do on the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, he was he was never a horror fan. I don't think he would. You know, he, he probably was a comedy fan. I think most people do kind of like comedy in some way shape or form whether that is their favorite genre or not um and um uh so it, it's no surprise to me that he's writing all these action films that, uh, or thriller films because that was his his kind of thing in the first place um but uh but yeah i i mean uh, it would be interesting to see what he would be like as a director today i've got a feeling that he probably stepped away from being a director because of you know the you know the i don't know whether it was negative at the time or you know he he got there were there were the odd you know the odd fairly decent review but for most most part it focused on grace jones and and how weird she was um which she is but uh, but also um, utterly iconic too. yeah I mean... absolutely you know i think it's one of those films that they uh, you know i haven't heard about it for a couple of years but they were thinking about remaking it as they do everything who the hell um, would you cast exactly I, I mean again going back to one of these dvds they they talk about that at the time and and the name that came up at that point in time it must have been about 2011 was lady gaga which huh um maybe lady gaga at that point in her life possibly but not the um star is born lady gaga you know i think she's kind of she wouldn't I... it's one of those it's one of those films that it's like a time capsule you know everything that works on that film worked because of the time that it was made the fact that they didn't go for tina turner they went for grace jones the um that grace jones had this kind of massive art entourage with her that you know um included people like keith harrin 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 um and um uh, dolph lundgren <laughs> well dolph lundgren Dolph Lundgren was the the mold for the chair, so there you go. What you know the chair? Yeah, absolutely. You're kidding? Um, no, I'm not. Um, he was yeah because he was around at the time. Um, they cast uh, cast the chair um, uh, from him, um, and uh, there you go. That's, I gotta uh, say, I I don't you know uh, going back to Lady Gaga, I don't know that I would want her to replace grace jones like i don't you know they can especially as an egyptian vampire queen i think they can do better or honestly like i again i don't know who you would get to replace her that would be you know it's impossible it's like trying to cast somebody as uh freddy krueger you know it just wouldn't work thank god they haven't tried that yet but um well freddy krueger well yeah. they did didn't they no never happened they did try it no they didn't no they did nope <laughs> never happened <clears throat> I, I i actually um, um, just talking about the, the remake that you don't want to talk about. Um, <laughs> um, I I saw it. I've seen it twice because I, I I teach as well. And, and for one of the three times too many, the, the, 
yeah exactly <laughs> one of the units that we did we had to look at the original nightmare on elm street and the remake and put them side by side um and clearly you know you know myself and you know colleagues that were teaching it we prefer the original but the amount of um students that quite liked the remake it, no it, it made me no. quite sad so so we took it off we decided right we're never going to show that film again because we don't want to let people think that it's actually a good film uh. um but yeah anyway um we'll, we'll move back away from that but yeah um yeah grace joe you know who, who would you cut i don't i don't know i think the thing that I like about Vamp, another thing that I like about Vamp, is that um, uh, the way that they had to shoot it, uh, they had to work with Grace Jones. And Grace Jones at that time, and I imagine today as well, because you know she's been on various kind of talk shows over here in the last couple of years, and she still seems to be as balmy as ever. Um, <laughs> um, she... she wanted to get into the skin of a vampire so she wouldn't turn up during the day so when they needed to shoot with her she wasn't there and she would turn up for like six hours or seven hours after the call uh which obviously drove them insane because (laughs) um they had to shoot stuff otherwise they would have had pages cut from their script you know it was that time where you know if you don't you're not making your days you're gonna have you know, we're going to just rip pages out of your script and um, that'll be that day gone, you know, that scene gone, whatever. Um, so, you know, uh, to their credit, they were they were able to kind of work around that and shoot scenes that they hadn't rehearsed. You know, the, the actors kind of going, you know, in these retrospective documentaries saying, we hadn't learned that scene, but we had to go and shoot it because Grace Jones hadn't turned up. Um, so... Uh, you know, it was a, a lot of kind of semi-improvisation, um, having to work around an actor who, you know, they to the to their credit, you know, in, in terms of the way that they talk about everyone on, you know, it's not all a kind of ah, oh, she was a horrendous human being and we hated working with her. They actually quite like the fact that they worked with Grace Jones because <laughs> of everything that she brought to the the set with her you know the the Andy Warhols that you know as I say the Keith Haring who did all their body paint and painted the the Dolph Lundgren chair and various other kind of of the of the moment kind of artists of of that that era um and uh you know they had to they they kind of I think they were a little bit kind of in awe of her um and you know in awe of the fact that she was bold you know, she was um forthright she knew what she wanted and they kind of worked with it you know the the whole kind of the it's not really a strip tease is it her dance piece uh in, in the middle of the um in the middle of the film when when, when the katrina the grace jones characters uh, you know, she turns up in the kind of the red wig and the the white kind of white face paint and everything, and she does this very kind of art dance, um, 
uh, and then it cuts to the to the the people watching it. <laughs> They're all like <laughs> sitting there, complete silence, and then they slowly clap and everything. But that just always makes me laugh because. I was watching it, uh, you know, I don't know, I can't remember how I felt 28 years ago watching that, but when watching it recently, I'm like, you can't take your eyes off this, <laughs> but it's utterly, utterly insane what I'm watching right now. <laughs> and and that's, you know, I think what they felt, because he wrote, you know, Wenk wrote, uh, you know, a, 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 in the script, he wrote kind of a more seductive, sensual... Uh, striptease kind of thing um, and then she turned up and performed this and he was like okay um, okay <laughs> right uh, let's work with this yeah let's go with this and that's totally um, her character too that moment yeah. I mean because it, it shifts from being uh, you know very very strange to really sexy to being really strange again and it's you know and that's that character through and through it seems you know if we want to toss in downright terrifying later on but um you know i you know we're talking about a remake though honestly i kind of wish there had just been a series of vamp sequels starting back in the 80s i mean how how great would it be to see katrina resurrected time and time again like christopher lee's dracula to uh you know to bite people and dress as strangely as she would like to her heart's content (laughs) i would watch all of those I, I, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that I like about her her performance in it is that she doesn't talk. I think had she spoken, it would have been a completely different film. Um, it probably would be one that we weren't talking about right now. I think she she's got a look to her that is mesmerizing. You know, whatever you think, you know, and you kind of read stuff. Is she sexy? Is she not sexy? Um, I think the she, answer is yes. She, I, uh... Yeah, and I, I think <laughs> you you've got to go with. You know, she's she's a force of nature. In she is as Grace Jones, but also the Katrina character is a force of nature. Um, and um, and I just like the way that that they get rid of her at the end. I I, I, I don't want to see a fantasy sequel. Um, <laughs> I was only uh, half joking. I, think, I mean, I would totally yeah, watch them okay. if they existed. But Oh, yeah, I, I think I would. And then I'd, um, I'd hide them away in the cupboard <laughs> somewhere uh, and just go back to the original again. But, um, I mean... Uh, yeah, it's it's one you know we talk we're talking about remakes should they make a remake of it they kind of have um uh or at least something that was inspired by vamp which was um uh from dusk till dawn ah uh, yeah um and which is again, a favorite of mine i, I adore okay. that film yeah no i like it i like it a lot um it, it's not uh, one that i've watched as many times as vamp um, and I think because a, a snobby kind of just starting out making films in the mid nineties, when I saw it, I was like, Ugh, <laughs> this isn't fun. I'm not going to watch this one uh, so much, but I, you know, I've seen it a couple of times. Um, and I really like the documentary that they made. That oh my God. Of, uh, full uh, tilt boogie. That went on. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Such a great documentary. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, there should be more kind of documentaries made like that for films. Because, the two best docs yeah. I've seen on the making of films, uh, and they're both the exact same thing. It's sort of fly-on-the-wall view of what happens instead of just talking heads pieces. But uh, there was the Full Tilt Boogie for From Dusk Till Dawn. And did you ever see, I think it was three or three and a half hours long. It's not on every release of the film, but there is this great documentary 
uh, about the making of Old Boy. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yes. Yeah, I have. Um, so good. I, I, I was going, should I, should I finish his sentence? If I'd said, <laughs> <Please do. laughs> if I'd said um, problem child, <laughs> maybe, we would, uh, maybe it would have been in a different place. Um, but yeah, no, I, was, uh, I like that one. I quite like uh, the Willard one as well, the remake of Willard. Willard? The one, the rat one. Oh, yes. Yeah, the, absolutely. The the documentary on that's quite good. It's, um, it's quite sad as well, you know, when he's kind of realising that it's not kind of hit as well as he would have liked it to have hit and kind of goes through those stages. Um, but, yeah, I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, it's... I, I don't mind retrospective documentary, you know, the ones that kind of look back. Um, I... But... But yeah, I agree with you. You know, talking heads aren't always don't always bring the same kind of energy to a documentary as being on set and seeing more honesty. You know, the high. Yeah, absolutely. You know, more more of the moment things that happened in the moment. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, so from dust to dawn, kind of took the the kind of vampire strippers. Thing and and did something different with it, you know, uh, and and I think it's different enough that it's not a, you know, it's not a a remake as such, but it's kind of a reimagining. It's uh, it's taking the same kind of uh, concept and and taking it in a different different direction. Uh, and again, um, uh, yeah, the the producer uh, got a call from Kurtzman. Alex Kurtzman, who was who did the makeup on it, and he said, "Yeah, we we just want to give you a call and um, uh, say that we we really like Vamp. We want to remake it, uh, or we want to <laughs> do something different with it, and um, and wanted him to produce it. Uh, so so you know clearly Tarantino." Um, it was Tantino that wrote it, wasn't it? It wasn't Rodriguez, yeah, well, Rodriguez you know, directed it. Tantino it's funny, actually. It. I, uh, you know, I did a bit of research on this back when I wrote a retrospective on it, and Tarantino wrote the screenplay, Rodriguez directed it, but Kurtzman himself actually penned the uh, the story for the film. Oh, and okay. He shot this uh, short film starring. Uh, oh yes, my, you're right. God, who was it? The um, guy from um, Rhodes from Day, Day of the, the Dead. Dead. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. God, I'm a terrible fan. Joe Pilato. Yeah, as yeah. Uh, Seth Gecko, and you know it's a blast. And I guess he was going to direct it at a certain point, but eventually he uh, he sort of gave it over to Tarantino, and it became what it was. But I wonder if Kurtzman had seen Vamp and was sort of well, uh, I, yeah, that 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 was the story that that Borchers was kind of relaying that yeah he was good friends with Kurtzman, which is why they had that kind of that dialogue. <laughs> um, and you know he is much wanted to say to you know would you produce it so that you don't sue me for kind of ripping <laughs> off your idea? But um, I think he, he, yeah, the producer, no, what was it? Um, they, they got a better deal. They got a better deal with kind of dimension films at the time than what Borchers could offer them. So in return, you know, for kind of saying, yeah, we're not going to use you anymore. Uh, um he he did a film for Borchers later on, which was the uh, I can't remember um, a film that he did, uh, which I want to call the Equalizer, but it's not the Equalizer. Um, uh, I can't think. Uh, it had um, person from um, Baywatch in it. 
Oh, no. Um, oh, God. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, erg. Uh, the Demolitionist. Yes, that's one. <laughs> the Equalizer. I remember, the, uh, I remember <laughs> I reading about uh, oh, The Demolitionist back when I was a kid. I just started reading Fango, and one of the coolest things that they noted during the making of that movie, they wanted the uh, squib hits in The Demolitionist to look unlike any other sort of bullet hit in movies. So instead of using a liquid, they used red powder so that, you know, as soon as the squib would hit, you know, just everything mists into the air, you know. It's just, uh, you know, it's an interesting movie. It's worth watching once. Um, <laughs> sorry, tangent. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, I, you know, it's funny. I mean, I I wasn't aware of that connection until right before I watched Vamp for this uh for this talk, and I sort of hit Wikipedia to get a broad overview of the uh, the making of the movie. I didn't find a whole lot, but they did mention the um, From Dusk Till Dawn sort of connection, and I was just like, what? You know, everything I know about this movie, what precious little I knew, I'm like, this doesn't seem anything like it other than the fact that there are vampires. And then you watch the movie, and you realize that Vamp has a strip club slash potential brothel that's open only after dark. The strippers and owners are all vampires. They're lorded over by an ancient vampire queen. The quirky, goofy friend of our lead heroes turned into a vampire by said queen early on. The third act has our heroes running across an arsenal that they'll use to fight off a horde of vampires. I mean... Yeah. I get it, <laughs> you know. But you know, it's funny watching it. Really, more than dusk, which is um, which is played straight and feels as dangerous as it does yes. fun at times. You know, it reminded me more of. Uh, now, hear me out. <clears throat> it reminded me more of Bordello of Blood, at least tonally. You know, it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like, oh, I get that. yeah, I, like Vamp is the movie that Bordello of Blood wants to grow up to be one day. Yeah. You know, after he yeah. gets beyond puberty. But, you know, and really Vamp <laughs> feels more like an extended Tales from the Crypt episode than Bordello yeah, does. No, minus, uh, you know, minus a mean-spirited last-minute twist. But, but yeah, I, uh, I I would take Vamp over Bordello of Blood any day of the week. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, in terms of kind of, I was, um, uh, Films that it reminded me of, Vamp reminded me of, and now hear me out. Um, I think it's got lots of similarities with Jaws. Go on. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> um, well, first off, I am lean. I am on the edge of my seat, leaning into my microphone right now. Like, <laughs> uh, first off, um, Grace Jones is the shark. Um, <laughs> I love it. I'm on board. For quite a lot of the time, she wasn't working. So they had to work the film around (laughs) uh, the fact that she wasn't working. But you've also got, seriously, uh, in terms of like the the end, the bit with um, uh, Keith's character, uh, the Chris Makepeace character, Keith, with his bow and arrow um, shooting uh, Grace Jones. That reminded me quite a lot of the the kind of the end of Jaws, and yes, all right, it's the same. The end of Jaws is the same as many other films, but um, but then with them kind of wandering off into uh, into the day rather than into the night, uh, it's very much the same as the uh, the end where they kind of paddle towards shore in um, uh, in Jaws. You know, there's the the threat is gone, but there's something else kind of you don't know, quite know where the the film 
would go next you know if you went on to the next chapter and i love films like that and i that's how you know in terms of when i'm writing stuff i love things that have got uh, what would happen after and what would happen next jaws uh, is forever we, ruined for me now <laughs> because <laughs> i will imagine the ending as yeah. you know uh, as the equivalent <laughs> to the end of vamp where uh you know Hooper and Brody are paddling away, and now I imagine Quint in the ocean trying to whisper up that maybe he could get a graveyard shift job, or maybe he can <laughs> yeah, stay out absolutely. of the sunlight. He'll be fine, you yeah, know? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it is funny. You're right, though. Chris Makepeace totally has that uh, smile, you son of a bitch moment in, yeah. in the movie. Yeah. But, uh, which is, you know, I, I, I like that there was that big sort of heroes moment with him, but I also love that you know, he's not he's not an action hero. He's not Mel Gibson. You know, he's no. not a. He's Although not, he does look a bit like Mel Gibson, he really does, he especially by the like end. Him, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's totally like you know he could have uh, he could have done a Martin Riggs prequel back in the mid eighties. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, but you know, at the end, you know, he has he has the big moment with the arrow, and it's great. But I love that they ultimately let him be smart, and they let him yeah. realize that the sunlight is actually what's going to do uh, Katrina in, and he lets her get close, and he just kind of like effortlessly uses the bow to just push up the slats and that's it that's all he does it takes no effort for him but mm. but loads of intelligence to be able to do what he did and trap the uh trap the creature as it were but um yeah i i, I dig the hell out of that ending yeah um and just briefly because i'm i'm not i'm not confused by it but i i wanted to get someone else's take on it there are wizard of oz references in the film um, when they when they're driving their car and they kind of get right near the start of the film, they get cut off, don't they? The car kind of goes across them and they spin out of control and then all of a sudden they're in like this nightmare world. That kind of reminded me a little bit, but it reminded me because they have a we're not in Kansas anymore line straight after it. But at the end, when they're walking off, a rainbow oh, wow. appears. And I'm like, is he, you know, because I love Wizard of Oz. I think it's, you know, it's one of one of my favorites. Um, and I'm just wondering, did he kind of go, was he a big Wizard of, you know, was Richard Wenk a big Wizard of Oz fan? I don't know. But that was just an aside. It was just, um, well, it was even, something that I. I think you're right. I think there's got to be something to that. I need to rewatch the movie now to, to tr- sort of track that. But even the moment with the. Uh... Vic and Keith at the bar that's very much a uh, you know pay no attention to the man behind the curtain kind yeah, of moment yeah, yeah. that conversation yeah. that ensues right after feels like it's uh, you know uh, yeah I, I, I could kind of see that certainly I damn it I need to rewatch it and then queue up uh, you know Dark Side of the Moon um, yeah <laughs> but, but um, yeah wow no I had not considered that but the rainbow I mean it's so deliberate a touch at the end that it, it, there's got to be something there it, you know, it just it feels it's too on the nose for it to just be a you know a throwaway I don't know maybe you know somewhere over the rainbow kind of thing uh, I don't know I don't know but um, it's it is very it just made me go has he watched Wizard of Oz too many times <laughs> um, but um but yeah, cast-wise, then you know, um, in terms of all of those casts that we we kind of we see, you just mentioned Fick. That was meant to be Jerry Lewis originally. Wow. Um, they they wanted Jerry Lewis, um, and 
when they realised, or someone kind of in marketing said, well, it'll only sell to France. Nobody <laughs> else wanted it. That's when they 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 went away from Jerry Lewis, and that's where you know they the the right we need a star. And that's where Grace Jones came in. But but D.D. Pfeiffer, you've got to, You can't really talk about Vamp without talking about um, Michelle's younger sister. She's unbelievably um, adorable in the film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and and I just love the fact that she, you know, she's. You've got char- You've got female characters in that film that. At, you know, at the time of making, kind of in the mid '80s, you, oh, okay, you've got like Night of the Comet that's kind of got strong kind of female leads, but most of the time you're going to have, you know, the female being the love interest, which I guess she is, but she's more than that. She she's very much knowing herself, um, and even if she is a bit nutty and uh, a little bit kind of skip, uh, you know not skitsy, um, scatty, uh, scattish. Um, um, but she's got, just got some lovely little, you know, little moments in, in there that you can tell that she and the director kind of work together and went, right, okay, this is the journey your character is on. There are vampires left, right, <laughs> but you're not seeing them. You're just seeing this <laughs> yeah, person right in front of you. Um, and I love the bit where... Um, they're in the I guess it's like a pawn shop uh, where they've got all the weapons and the various bits and pieces that they pick up um, that she's obviously she found the way into it you know he's trying to kind of break into it with the, the bin and everything uh, <laughs> uh, and she just kind of goes you could have just you know, squeezed through here and then um, he's uh, he wants to know whether she's a vampire or not and you know she's kind of got the 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 um the bazooka um, and it's just i don't know it's just her comic timing and it that just makes me uh um makes me go oh, i wish she had done i wish she had had a a bigger career than she did i know she was on sybil for years but she was sybil, so it? good in yeah. vamp like i you're right i watching it again i was like you know honestly i felt that way about the three leads but especially her why wasn't she a bigger star why you know, I maybe it was the the fate of the movie not doing so well that kind of you know uh, what should have elevated all three of the leads instead just uh, didn't really seem to do a thing for them unfortunately. But you're right, she is so damn good, and I love I love her delivery. You know, not only is she completely adorable in the film, but you know, just um, she also reminds me like with her sort of. Uh, fast talking, sort of uh, you know, rat a tat tat nature of the dialogue or whatever. She seems like she might have been the heroine or yeah, love interest in like a forties or fifties movie. And that's not the only time in the film that it seems to harken back to an earlier era. I mean, obviously with the, uh, you know, the gang, you know, uh, the sort of punk gang as it were. And, you know, uh, um, you know, the nature of the strip club and the lighting and, you know, the fact that it is so obviously very eighties and yet, you know, we have like fifties automobiles. We have, uh, we have like an honest to God, like 50 style milkman walking out of a building at one point. It's like, what, what is up with that? That it seems like part of the, uh, the world of the film is kind of like suspended in the fifties. And then part of it is absolutely firmly set in the eighties as well. You know, it's, 
it's very strange to me, but I wonder if that's another way to sort of tie it back to, you know, you mentioned it yourself, um, the era of EC Comics. You know, was that a way to sort of draw another line or another connection to those older comic books by having those those nods? You know, I, I don't know, but um, but I love it. I love that. I love that it feels even more strange and otherworldly for having those little brushstrokes throughout. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, in terms of uh, how much this film kind of has influenced me, uh, how much, uh, you know, in terms of... I haven't written a vampire film with strippers or anything like that, but... um, Yet? The film... Yet. Uh, (laughs) No. uh, The the film that that you kind of mentioned at the top, which we're... uh, we're just about to get out to festivals. Our lighting style is totally taken from Vamp. Nice. It's, it's your greens and your pinks. Um, it's cut, It has got that kind of 80s vibe to it. And the director and I are both kind of big Vamp fans. You know, we uh, we found that out after the after the fact of us working <laughs> on it. I was like, I really like the look of Vamp. He's like, oh, I love it. It's my favorite. You know, one of my favorites. So. Um, it's always it's always good to find other people that like them um, and kind of you know pay kind of that homage to it in in your own work as well um, but yeah I, I you know I could talk about I could talk about vamp for hours um, it it opened the same week as the fly did you know that I did not I can't even imagine doing that double feature that weekend yeah I know it's like although now I, I mean, kind of want to <laughs> To, you know totally different kind of yeah if you've got like you know, you've got those two kind of do you call vamp a horror film or is it a horror comedy i don't know or is it a black comedy i don't know really how you would pitch it because it's got horror elements in it but it's not it's not apart from i guess the bit where you know grace joan uh, where katrina kind of bites aj and that that's quite quite scary, but for the most part, it's not, is it? It's not really a. No, I don't think its primary intent is to horrify at any point. And yet, you know, I mean, obviously, it's just it's steeped in horror tropes and you know visuals. So I, yeah, I horror comedy. I think you know, it's like um, you know, Shaun of the Dead. I think uh, although Shaun of the Dead can go dark and scary at times when it wants to, but for the most part, it's a light fun movie and you know vamp certainly is too i think yeah i wonder whether talking of Shaun of the dead whether edgar wright was a fan of vamp because oh, i can't imagine the he's not. uh the the end of it with um uh the ed character kind of being turned but still being <laughs> that's that's again kind of a nod to yeah I, yeah I mean i can't think what what did that before Vamp did anything to, oh, I suppose American Werewolf in London, which again kind of has kind of links to this, you know, and, and you've got that supernatural kind of best friend kind of character uh, that warns you that things are going to pot and uh, you need to get out of here kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's one of those films where it just has, it does feel that it was, it was doing new things at the time that just weren't picked up on by the general public um and and i know that it does you know it, it clearly has fans um 
you know, uh, one of your kind of previous guests, Heather Wixon, is a big fan of Vampire, I believe. Really? Um, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she and chose Fright Night to talk about initially. She too, did. So she two did, great yeah. vampire films of the 80s now. So. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, Arrow released in two versions of it. You know, clearly someone at Arrow likes this film. Um, but, yeah, I, I, it's still, whenever I, you know, whenever I kind of, you know, when I mentioned to people that I was going to be talking about Vamp, I did get quite a lot of kind of strange looks, as in why, apart from, you know, uh, the, the director, Jeff, that I'm working with. Um, he was like, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, I, yeah. I still feel it is a, an acquired taste in a in a lot of ways, um, but it's a taste that everyone should try. Absolutely, because um, because it, it's a great great film. I I agree entirely. It's it's fun. It's funny. It's just it's again gorgeous, and it's so damn charming. The Again, the first thing that struck me about the movie was how effortlessly charming it is. You know, the relationship and the banner between Keith and AJ, you know, how broadly comic it can be at times. But also, you know, the, the friendship between those two guys feels very lived in. And, um, you know, it sort of immediately anchors the movie and makes us care about the proceedings, even for how silly it can get. And how, admittedly, I mean, how jackassy the guys can be at times. But, um But, yeah, I and that to me is kind of like the heart of the movie. And then eventually the relationship between... Uh, Keith and Amaretto, or Allison, I think, right? So, yeah. And that's, you know, like, that to me is, uh, I think that was the most impressive thing about it and the thing that I least expected out of it. I, I expected maybe some fun practical effects and, you know, maybe at best a fun horror comedy. But honestly, I think it was the characters and how much we care about them and how damn likable they are. You know, that really helps take us through a series of, wild and silly events you know in a in a way that a movie with less likable characters surely wouldn't have been able to and you know i'm kind of looking pretty hard at a bunch of 80s slasher movies uh with unlikable and or cardboard cutout characters here you know but um but yeah no i i can't thank you enough for uh for choosing this movie i don't know that i ever would have caught it uh had you not mentioned it and now i count myself as a massive fan of it i can't wait to pick up that arrow edition and i can't wait to tell as many people as i can to get out there and check it out very good <laughs> all right <laughs> well hey i i think wow that that hour flew i think we've just about reached our time do you have any final parting thoughts on vamp uh well you you kind of basically said it i think people should you know really watch it and uh um not believe what they might have read about it you know actually watch it and make up your mind for yourself you might not like it but if you do like it it'll probably become one of your kind of go-to films um kind of vampire films uh to kind of revisit again and again um yeah it's it's a great great film and i love it all right, Mr. Hearn, thank you so much for being on the show. Now, where can folks find you at online, and uh, what can we keep an eye out for from you in the future? Okay, so uh, I'm pretty kind of pretty visible on um, on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Hernesk, which is H-E-A-R-N-E-S-Q-U-E. Um, uh, I've got a film 
uh, as you mentioned earlier on, called Scroll, which is out in North America at the moment. You can pick it up at uh, to your local Walmart, and uh, it's on iTunes and all the kind of VODs. Um, it's a very strange film. It is not the kind of film that you would necessarily um, uh, expect uh, from kind of a horror film. It, it does kind of lean a lot to... Um, it, it, it's quite experimental, I guess I, I, I'd want to say about it. Um, uh, I mean, Don't Look Now would be a, a go-to for in terms of the editing style. To, oh, wow. um, but but it's, it's, it's not in the same league. <laughs> um, it, it's fun. I mean, it's a fun film. I like making fun films. And, and Dead Air, which is the one that we're, uh, we're currently working on, which is the, um, the, the Gremlins versus Punks on a Plane, um that's about uh that's a ticket sold in a dvd bot right here yeah i I can speak for myself at least um (laughs) (laughs) we well what we've done is we've shot it as a um a proof of concept short so it's like a 20 minute short uh which um i've written the feature for and we're hoping to be able to kind of get it out there and show people what we can do with it uh and and hopefully make the feature which is a bigger version of the short really uh but we had loads of you know really cool people working on it in front of the camera behind the camera um a couple of ex henson um puppeteers uh worked on it and uh a guy called dirk mags who is a um uh an audio um director he directs loads of audio stuff he's recently just done the alien three um audio drama with oh, wow. Lance yeah, Henriksen yeah, yeah. and all that. He um he did our uh our sound kind of mix um for for the for a pint. <laughs> for a pint. Uh because he liked the idea. You know, he liked uh what we were trying to trying to sell. So, you know, we had you know people like that um working behind the camera and uh and fantastic, you know, actors in front of the camera. Um and uh it should be a lot of fun it should be a lot of fun but but yeah you can get scroll don't be put off by scroll (laughs) if um it's not to your taste uh because dead air is um uh uh, you know scroll was made years ago you know seven years ago i shot that film uh it's it's always weird kind of revisiting it you know obviously because of daisy ridley um we we kind of had to um we, we had like a you know not a second wind with it but when we when she blew up big with star wars it was like okay yeah this film isn't <laughs> just going to be seen by a few people then um but dead air you know is, is something that just kind of you know in terms of being just again similarities with with vampire in that i used to write and direct now i'm a lot happier just being a writer like richard wink kind of style um and you know working with a director who shares my sensibilities is an absolute kind of joy to be in that situation um so hopefully when when that comes out and it's kind of doing the rounds that people see it and go we'd like to see a feature of that one and who knows hopefully that will take off thank you so much again for being on the show i really appreciate it thank you for shining light on vamp for uh for this viewer and brand new fan too so uh very much appreciate it i am indebted to you for it (laughs) (laughs) 
And thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comments section below. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Scream Addicts, and I am at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend. This has been one wacky night. <laughs>